Welcome to the podcast of the Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Jim Cole, and I'm proud to be the 96th president of Las Vegas Rotary. Las Vegas Rotary's main focus is on youth, specifically youth literacy and life skill development. If you're in town, we invite you to join us at the Lowry's Prime Rib at noon on Thursdays. You can also find more information about our meetings on lasvegasrotary.com. If you're unable to join us, we live stream our meetings on Facebook at noon Pacific time Thursdays. We hope you enjoy this podcast. I asked our speaker to tell me something about herself that no one else would know. She described to me her and her secret dream job. That piqued my curiosity, so I researched what it would take to be successful at that dream job. And this is what I found out. Extensive training and development, specialization, the ability to work closely with others at different levels, participate in promotional events, and above all, must always deliver as expected. Our speaker today is charged by the city to help the over 6,200 individual, individuals and families designated as homeless. There's a 2018 list showing the top 10 cities with the largest homeless population. Not really a list you would want your hometown to be on. However, Las Vegas is number nine on that list, sharing the spot with our much bigger neighbors, Los Angeles, San Diego, and San Francisco. It's interesting though, the skill set she needs for her current challenge is very similar to what she needed for her dream job. We're very lucky that genetics held her back. She was just too short to be a principal dancer for the Alvin Ailey Dance Company. Instead, she is choreographing a path of opportunity for others. Dancing is more than steps. It is a connection with emotion and power with grace. Being the director of community services is more than structure. It is also a connection with emotion and power with grace. Maybe this is her dream job after all. It is my pleasure to introduce Kathy Thomas Gibson, who will introduce us to a concept called the Courtyard Homeless Resource Center. Kathy. Thank you, Tina. So now when you see me bobbing my head in my car, you'll know I'm practicing for that dance company. Katie, congratulations. Uh, I met Katie Decker about four, four and a half years ago when I first came to the city of Las Vegas and my colleague, Dr. Lisa Morris Hibbler said, she's a force of nature. So I loved it when they were talking about the storm and riding those rockets. Lisa was right, you've been a force of nature and a transformative force. So thank you and very best wishes in the next phase of your life. She's not gonna be retired. When I retire, I'll be sitting in a rocking chair. Katie's gonna be <laughs> helping to continue to build this community. Thank you for inviting me to speak today. It's a somber topic, but I find myself really invigorated by the progress we've been able 
to make and the level of awareness we've been able to raise around the issues of homelessness. As Tina noted in the introduction, we tend to be in the top 10 in the nation for homeless individuals, street homeless. And that's behind much larger cities like New York City and Los Angeles. We're in the same category. And unfortunately, we haven't had the same kinds of resources that a LA, a San Francisco, or a New York. New York, by the way, has a billion with a B, billion dollar budget to address homelessness. We don't have that. And yet, we have almost as many homeless per capita. So we at the city started looking at what could we do differently? If we're still getting the same amount of money, if we're still having the same kind of housing options, if we're still doing the same things and our homeless population continues to grow, we need to start thinking differently and looking for different ways to address this concern. And by the way, I look at homelessness as the symptom of other systems breaking down. When the criminal justice system breaks down, when the mental health and primary health care system breaks down, when families break down, when the foster care system breaks down, a lot of the people using those systems unsuccessfully can't transition back to mainstream society and they end up on our streets. And so given that context, we can't just look at the house, we have to look at the systems around the people trying to access that housing. What we discovered, we did a lot of research, traveled to look at best practices, and what we discovered is that <clears throat> A number of homeless people don't even know how to access those other systems or the resources within those systems to help themselves. A lot of the challenges with accessing those systems were unnecessary barriers. I'll give you an example. If you're a homeless person who's an alcoholic, it's difficult to use mainstream systems because to walk in the door, they literally give you a breathalyzer test. In addition, you could have untreated diabetes, take that same breathalyzer test and take that same score, you couldn't get in. And so the person with a chronic health disease, whether it's diabetes or alcoholism, cannot use the mainstream service delivery system to address homelessness. And we just thought that didn't make a lot of sense. I, I don't want them drunk on the street. I don't want them uh, in the parks, I don't want them sleeping in the doorways of your businesses. I want them in an environment where they can make a decision about taking the next step. So one of the things we begin to do is look at where the gaps were. We started acquiring vacant land. I don't know how many of you are familiar with an area called the Corridor of Hope. It's where the mainstream shelters are. And so businesses began leaving. There was a funeral home there. Um, there was a kind of a party uh, place where they did quinceañeras. Those businesses left because no one wants to host their daughter's birthday party and step over homeless people to get into the ballroom. And no one wants to host a memorial for great uncle Bob and step over homeless people to get there. Those businesses packed up and left. So that left blighted property, homeless encampments. We saw an opportunity to take those parcels and put them to positive use in order to support people 
who were striving to get off the street. And the idea of the Courtyard Homeless Resource Center was born. We invite you to come visit. Now, right now, it's a parking lot <laughs> with some old buildings on it. Our intention is to um, demolish the old buildings and build a resource center where we call it one starts, not a one stop center. People aren't coming there to stay, they're coming there to go. And our intention is to connect them to whatever services they need to take that next step. It could be getting a birth certificate and an ID, because if you can't prove you are who you say you are, you're not able to access services. It could be connecting to a, a long lost family member. We have a connect to home program where if I call your sister in Lubbock, Texas, and she says, yes, um, Kathy can come stay with me. I'm her support network. We'll do the case management to get you connected to your sister in Lubbock. Nobody loves you like your family. You're no longer homeless on the streets here, and you're enveloped by folks who probably have been looking for you for years and really want to help you get your life back on track. So we started at the mayor's instruction with porta potties and hand washing stations. Homelessness is a public health issue. Now, a lot of people don't see it that way, but my framework, my background tells me to look at things from the public health perspective. And uh, okay, and this is probably not lunchtime talk, but the mayor always asked me to tell this story, so I do. We started with four porta potties. We went to eight, now we're at 10. We clean them seven days a week, yes, even on Sunday. Each of those 10 porta potties holds 60 gallons of human waste. This is about 4,200 gallons of human waste that used to be on the street washing into Lake Mead. Homelessness is a public health problem. Last year, 20 homeless people died in San Diego from hepatitis A, something that could have been prevented with hand washing. So the first step we took at the resource center was to put porta potties in, and then we brought in the service providers. We have uh, everything from a psychiatrist doing medication management to uh, a job coach helping people get jobs. By the way, the homeless told us, if you help me get a job, I can figure it out by myself. And we've discovered they're right. About 50% of the folks who get employed can self-resolve the, their other homeless issues. And so we have employers who come on site, interview and hire on site, so that homeless individuals can resolve their other problems themselves. And every service in between, the faith community comes, the um, not-for-profit community comes, mental health, arts, we have chess tournaments, we have, uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to Urban Underdogs, they support our pets because another barrier to homeless people accessing services is they, they cannot take their pets with them. Mainstream service delivery system will not allow you to come in with pets. And people were opting to stay on the street rather than give up their pet family member. We've got parakeets, cats, dogs, and a ferret. But if, if that's your comfort companion, who am I to say you have to stay on the street because I don't understand how you could love a ferret. So we have the community supporting this in ways that we never imagined. We thought we'd be serving 120 folks. We're up to about 300 in the daytime and we haven't even built the, the buildings. A few months ago, we went 24 hours. We started 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 12 hours a day. Now we're 24 hours around the clock. Why? 
because the mainstream shelters are crowded. They're full. And so folks would come at 6 a.m. when the shelters push everyone out into the streets. They'd come at 6 a.m. <clears throat> shelters open back up in the evening. They'd go to the shelters. And the shelters would run out of space because chronic homelessness is up 14% in Southern Nevada. So the beds were full. Well, where do you go? Where do you go if you've uh, got pets, you're disabled, you're saying, what, the shelters won't take disabled because you can't climb up into the bunk bed. So where do you go? Where do you go if you're a single dad with children? There's no shelter where you can go. So the courtyard had to go to 24-hour rotation. It's a true courtyard. It is outdoor sleeping. It's not a shelter. It's a service center. But one of the services we needed to provide is a place for people to be safe at night from muggings, beatings, it's violent. And so we pull out mats at 6.30 at night and we have as many as 278 adults and typically three to five families with children staying at the courtyard. We never thought we'd have this many families with children. So we move all the desks in the computer room and put the families in there, because we're low barrier. Remember I said, we don't breathalyze. We let you bring all your personal items in. You don't have to give up your five shopping bags. Well, I have to keep the families with children safe, because I'm not sure who this drunk is, that I'm not going to turn him away, and I'm not going to turn the family with children away. So we let everyone come in and find a way to keep them all safe for the evening. So we started this March 2017. And uh, about a year after that, and these should be at your table, the Mayor's Fund for Life got started. And the courtyard was identified as a priority project. Why? Because what we discovered in other communities that were successfully dealing with homelessness is that philanthropy and the private sector were not merely contributors, they were leaders in resolving those problems. A similar model in San Antonio, uh, private sector funded it, 60% of the construction, and to this day, still provides 50% of the operating costs. Well, we couldn't wait to build that infrastructure because homelessness was on the rise, but we acknowledged that there are many people who wanted to support the effort and we needed a vehicle for that to happen. And actually that's how I got invited here. Tom, Thomas saw me somewhere running my mouth and he said, hey, you might want to come share this information because more people need to know about this opportunity. And so um, the Mayor's Fund for Life has a focus on the Courtyard Homeless Resource Center, but also on uh, early childhood education and the arts and youth recreation and veterans because we as a community know that there are lots of our neighbors who need our support and we need the resources to provide that support to them. It operates like a donor advised fund through the Nevada Community Foundation. So you can say, yes, give the money to the courtyard or you can say, uh, give it to uh, families of veterans who are dealing with suicide. That's one of our programs. And so it's an opportunity for us to engage with the community in ways that you might not have traditionally engaged with the municipality, but we're addressing issues that municipalities haven't traditionally engaged in ways that 
normally doesn't happen. I got an yeah, email before, or actually right when I got here, because there was a, uh, there have been lots of articles about the, the courtyard. Um, most of them have been positive. Uh, I don't know how many of you read the Review Journal regularly. There was an article not so positive. And uh, folks, are you going, nope, I'm going to confront that head on. Um, because we've been very transparent about the work that we do. And for me, it's very important that uh, folks know this is a challenging issue and we are uh, linking up arm in arm with the community to address it. But I think it's better for you to hear the story of the courtyard from homeless people who used it, took advantage of the services and turned their lives around. And so you can hear the truth from the person who lived it and walked that experience. And so I have a little four-minute video um, that somebody's going to tee up for me so I don't blow the computer up. Um, and then I'll be available for questions after that. doing it every day and then the city approached Las Vegas city leaders, nonprofits, businesses, and volunteers are constantly in the trenches fighting what some may think is a losing battle. But Las Vegas is not raising a white flag in this fight. Instead, we are always looking for new and innovative ways to get people off the streets and into dignified safe housing. One of the latest efforts is this, the courtyard. 
It may not look new and shiny. That's because remodeling and reconstruction are an ongoing process at this point. So really what is amazing is that even in the midst of the dust, the courtyard is still turning out success story after success story. We'd like you to meet a couple of men who credit the courtyard with giving them back their lives. My name is William Kite, W-I-L-L-I-A-M, K-I-G-H-T. Stephen Quackenbush, S-T-E-V-E-N-Q-U-A-C-K, E-N-B-U-S-H. William and Stephen, or Will and Steve as they like to call each other, had never met before landing on the streets of Las Vegas. In fact, they come from opposite ends of the country. Will is from the East Coast, Steve is from the West. I had a mental episode when I was in Maryland. I'm from the East Coast. Um, on a Sunday afternoon, 2015, started driving. Halfway through Kansas, I made a left and came to, came to Vegas and I... And I've been here ever since. It was Steve who first discovered the courtyard. And although he'd found little success getting back on his feet in the past, he decided to give life one last shot. So I started volunteering over there. And it ended up being from just dumping trash to doing it every day. And then the city approached me and asked me if I'd like to be lead volunteer. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of reluctant at first. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, oh, yeah, you know. And it just grew from there. Fast forward a few months, Steve is working here full time, getting a paycheck and living in an apartment. He remembered that friend he met while living on the streets and decided to give Will a fateful hand up. I had a, a good friend that I had met and uh, he said, come along and we're going to have a fun ride. And we've been ever, together ever since and we've been working together ever since. So, and we're trying to get to the end. All right, baby, how you doing today? Hi. So what makes this courtyard different? Why did it work for them? Several things, but Stephen will say homeless people are more willing to accept help from those who've been in their shoes in the past. That's why the city strives to hire those who've been on the streets. It garners a feeling of, if they can do it, just maybe I can too. There's a lot of trust, and that's a big thing out here. You know, they... People won't, without that trust, a lot of times they won't even approach you. A lot of our input is put into action. Steve and Will remember how treasured their few belongings were. The courtyard listened. There are hundreds of new clean bins with locks. They are assigned to people who want to sleep peacefully knowing their belongings are safe or go out and look for work knowing when they return, they will still have the things that are important to them. There's even a locked shed for people who must leave here to go to the hospital or leave for an extended period with the intent to return. The only people that have keys for this is us and security. And that's all. Aside from wanting to keep their belongings safe, another big reason people don't want to leave the streets is they don't want to leave their pets. Here, there's a clean, safe kennel for pets of all kinds. We've got dogs here right now. We've got cats. We've got parakeets. There are clean bathrooms and showers. And although sleeping facilities separate men and women, there is a safe place for children and families. Just about anything you need can be found here 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And Steve says it's offered up with dignity, thanks to some wonderful community partners. The way that people are treated when they come to the courtyard. Uh, they're treated as people. You know, they're not, they're, they're not our clients. They're not just the homeless person. You know, there are guests. At the end of the workday, instead of trying to find a place to lay their head huddled on the streets, these two friends head to their own apartments, where they are warm in the winter, cool in the summer, and safe year-round. They just want others to know it can be done. Come here. Just come here and talk to somebody. All it takes is the will. If I can do it from no support, 
and get up off the street, anybody can do it. And we're here to help. And the only way you're going to get help is if you ask for help. I'd be happy to answer any questions that anyone has. You started to mention the articles in the RJ, uh, but didn't finish. So there was an, a recent article, because the first set of articles by the same reporter, by the way, were overwhelmingly positive. The most recent article is a conversation that the reporter had with some temps. We have temporary workers staffing when we went to 24 hours. And the temp workers' assignments are just that temporary. And they said, no, you promised me a full-time job, which we did not. And so when their temp assignment ended, they ended up at the newspaper saying they were let go without being given a reason for being let go. So unfortunately, you know, in any personnel, even if they're full-time or temp, it doesn't matter. Like, I can't run down the laundry list to the reporter for why someone is or is not still in a temp placement. But ultimately, the uh, focus is on uh, high-quality staffing to cover all of the 24 hours that we, we are operational. And so when those um, former placements ended and they didn't want them to end, they opted to go to, to the newspaper and share their version of their story. Yeah. Yes, sir. No good deed goes unpunished. Uh, what a great job you're doing, Kathy. I, I have a question. I'm a Metro volunteer. A couple, three times a month, I uh, patrol the strip with other volunteers. And our primary job is to get the um, subjects awake, sitting up. Um, they're all the same people. I would call them, I guess, the chronic homeless. Um, I, I have to tell you, I have to make a distinction between those gentlemen and the folks that really are in a tough situation and need help working their way out versus people that just sleep on the strip. And um, perhaps they need a hand up too, but I don't think they're willing to go to the courtyard, uh, at least not so far. So how do we, I mean, I'm making a differentiation that may be false, but how do we deal with the homeless? Because I can tell you, the chronic homeless, because I can tell you it's bad for business. And I cringe when I think of tourists walking with their children. Um, uh, forget about the buskers and all that stuff, which is bad enough, but um, some of the chronic homeless that legally there's nothing they can do about. Thank you for asking that question, because it's important for us to loop in uh, law enforcement, mental health, and substance abuse treatment as part of this process. So, so a lot of the chronically homeless are drug addicted or mentally ill or both. And so what I found is it's difficult to agree to services if your thought process is altered, either because you have mental health issues or because you're on drugs or because both are going on. And so we have the MORE outreach team, which is multi-agency outreach resource engagement, because we found that chronically homeless might have to have anywhere from 10 to 25 contacts before they say yes to help. So the MORE team is um, comprised of mental health professionals, uh, family service professionals, 
and substance use professionals and law enforcement together on an outreach team. Not because we want to arrest our way out of homelessness. Uh, we want to keep the outreach team safe when they're going into these encampments. And um, in two years, we've only had two arrests. People are always concerned that our outreach team has law enforcement on it. But it, the, the teams are going into some really dicey environments, and we want to keep everyone safe. So what we found is if you can offer them an array of services and respond on the street, transport them. You don't have to go to some office and wait. I can get you housed. I can get you a ticket to home. I, if you're a vet, I can get you connected to the VA. And those service providers are a part of that outreach team. But it may take between 10 and 25 contacts before those chronically homeless individuals are prepared to say yes to service. And so that's why outreach has been a very important part of this process. First of all, thank you uh, for being here today. Uh, are you collaborating with other municipalities like Henderson, for example? So interestingly enough, Henderson came, has visited the courtyard twice. Our most immediate two partners are North Las Vegas and Clark County. So we are more engaged with them simply because of uh, some proximity issues. The border, um, Owens Boulevard is a border between us and North Las Vegas where a lot of the homeless congregate. And so the conversations have been more ongoing specifically with the jurisdictions that we share borders where there are lots of homeless encampments. Henderson, um, from the assistant police chief on down, have been to the courtyard to visit the site because the question is, do we need another one of these resource centers somewhere else in the county? Of course, our answer is yes. I mean, the footprint, think about it, they're like 6,000, 6,400 homeless people. You can't bring them all there. There's not enough room. There are also other pockets of homelessness throughout the county, and so does it make sense to have a resource center or triage location where it's easier for those homeless individuals to walk in, and that's why Henderson came to visit. We don't know that they're going to open a resource center, but they're curious about is it working, and if so, how does it work? So your center is down there with Catholic Community Services, yes. Salvation Army, and other entities giving help to the homeless Correct. and the needy. And then you are another entity that's starting up in the same area. Correct. And basically doing the same things? No, actually doing the things that the others don't have the capacity to scale up and do. So for example, Catholic Charities and Salvation Army have full kitchens and they do three meals a day. We don't feed there because you can literally walk from the courtyard to where that door is and be at Catholic Charities and get a meal for free. So we're not intending to duplicate those services. What we are doing is literally stepping into the gap. So Catholic Charities can house 500 men a night. We need them to continue to do that. We support them in doing that. Where do the women go? Where do the single dads with children go? So we're not replicating. We're trying to find the areas where there hasn't been a provider operating and step into that gap so that uh, some of the more vulnerable individuals who don't have a lot of options, and, and no, no pointing fingers, 
all of the shelter beds are full at night. So our shelter partners are doing heroic efforts. There's still folks falling through the cracks, and those are the folks that we have opened the resource center to, not to duplicate or replicate, but to leverage resources so that we have more people getting connected to the right kind of services and hopefully ending homelessness. Thank you very much for coming and, and talking with us. Um, I want to present to you an award, and congratulations for remembering to stay up. <laughs> most, most don't. So uh, we have the Share What You Can Award, and so what we are going to do is, is present a, a meal to a needy veteran in your name. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Can I just get one more round of applause for our speaker and for Katie Decker? Thank you. Um, okay, as we leave here today, let us go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Excuse me. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honor all persons. Love, each, love and serve each other, rejoicing in the fellowship of Rotary. Be the inspiration. Be people of action. Meeting adjourned. We hope you enjoyed this podcast of our latest meeting. If you'd like to know more about our projects or are interested in membership in the club, please visit us at lasvegasrotary.com. Now go forth and be the inspiration.